0: Barneys doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to The Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and glossy senior reporter, Hillary Milneys, and with me this week is Katie Finnegan, the principal at store number eight. Hi, Katie.
1: Hi, Larry. Thanks for having
0: me. Of course. So why don't we start by you just giving us a little bit of a rundown of what store number eight is? Uh, I, you guys are relatively new, is that right?
1: Yeah, so we launched actually just in March, so not even a year old yet, but but it seems like, you know, we we've done quite
0: a bit in that last 10 months or so. Great. And, and yeah, and so, so just tell us, what what, what does Stornobrite do? What, what does being the principle of, of Stornobrite mean?
1: Yeah, so Stornobrite is the incubation arm. We're actually a separate LLC, but we're wholly owned Walmart. And so we run, um, create, help fund, ideate all of the incubation, i.e. new businesses that we think have the potential to be massively transformational or disruptive to retail in a 5, 10, 15-year time horizon. So these are all the ideas that likely wouldn't make it on our current business unit's roadmap, given the nascency of the technology or the idea. But we believe if it, when it becomes a viable reality, it's something that we want to be a leader in, and we want to be sort of leading the charge. And so therefore, we created this separate avenue that allows us to start building things, uh, ideating, learning on things, um, well before it's ready for our, our core roadmap, which serves 160 million or so Americans every week.
0: So that's, so that's interesting. Do you mind giving us a little bit of an idea of the type of companies that you, that you work with? You mentioned it, it might be a technology company, but it also it might be like a new, a new brand. Is that right? Well, so mainly what
1: we're looking at is the capabilities that we think are required to, um, to fuel and be uh, a next generation retailer. So we're not really looking on the brand side per se. We do have a team that looks at that. What we're looking at is like what are those next generation capabilities, which are generally enabled by technology, but the capability is centered around either a user experience or or you know a different process way of doing things. So things might be on demand manufacturing might be interesting for us. And so you will look at three D knitting, three D printing, maybe vertical farming and other things that bring manufacturing closer to the consumer, which from a capability perspective, as you know, gives you a lot of different variability options, such as personalization, um, on-demand need, so that, you know, fresher ingredients, and, and different things like that. And so the the first company we set up, which is uh, the one that we talked about back in May, is called Code 8.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that company is focused on creating a capability around next-generation personalization. And so the analogy I use there is, you know, think about a butcher shop 20 years ago. When you went into the butcher shop and, or well, your mom went in and, and you know, she got your brother and he was a really picky eater and the butcher would know that you know, he, he doesn't really like to eat meat, but your mom wants to make sure he has enough meat in his diet. And so suggest this cut of, of, of the filet that he thought you know, little Johnny would like and he has this new marinade that he would love based on his taste buds and his preferences. And so he suggests that you guys buy that that week because it's on sale. How do you get that degree of personalization at scale in the digital world? Um, that's what uh, the the company code number eight is is focusing on. So so those are that's some context for the types of capabilities or ideas that we would incubate within store number eight.
0: So obviously personalization uh, is, is something that feels in, intangible for for retailers, especially ones that that are as big as Walmart. But and you mentioned at scale, are these is everything that you work with? The the end goal isn't for every company to be acquired by Walmart. So if that's if that's not the case, how Does working with a company like Code Number Eight help um, Walmart overall in the long term, even if it doesn't end in an acquisition?
1: Well, uh, well, So we, we basically wholly own all of the companies that we are that we are incubating, and so the acquisition would probably be an air quotes thing. But, okay. it, but I get the, the the intent behind your question. Our goal definitely is to be creating assets, so operational, strategic, technical assets that will fuel the broader enterprise in the future when they're ready for scale. And so whether it becomes a Walmart branded asset, a Bonobos branded asset, a Jet branded asset, or any of our other, other consumer facing brands, that's sort of yet to be determined. By, um, by kind of the business leaders at the time. But that is the, the overarching goal, is we are creating a strategic asset that will fuel the enterprise in the future. We're not creating an asset um, to spin off or sell off or, or create an ROI from that asset on its own. It is always looking to create something strategic in nature for the enterprise.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting, and so personalization is a big topic. Obviously, what else um, did you find came up a lot in the in the first year? Uh, what what type of technology do you think is really top of mind for retail right now?
1: Yeah, so I think I would answer that with a, a sort of a holistic point of view first, and then kind of dive into the specific technologies. But for me, I think what I'm really excited about is what technology can do to enable um, right sizing the relationship between um, where the customer spends time and where the customer values. And so how do we make sure the customers are spending time shopping and browsing and experiencing things that they actually want to and they have value add, and reduce the friction and streamline those some of those other purchases, so that that relationship is more correlated to how the customer would like to do it. And so that's everything from a front end customer experience perspective, so whether that be virtual reality augmented reality and other things that really are next generation merchandising all the way to the back end where you know it's autonomous vehicles it's drones it's robotics and that all just enables faster picking mechanisms and faster delivery um, and more convenience points and so I see some excitement across the full spectrum of the value chain um, but what holistically is more exciting to me is is leveraging those in a way to to right size that relationship and allow customers to really enjoy and spend time where they want to and reduce the friction where, where it doesn't make sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that's I I think really hard for retailers today is they are meeting these customer demands and and expectations that have that have changed and basically that their companies weren't really built to to accommodate? And, and especially as you're looking at the landscape, but the, 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 a big theme that we obviously come across as well is that there's a lot of technology companies trying to solve the same problem. So what part of your job is looking f- across the board at an AR company um, or a bunch of AR companies and deciding, just for example, and deciding which one is is the best? How does, especially in, in, when it comes to a, helping a retailer like Walmart or a Bonobos or um, Jet.com?
1: Yeah, so I think what we do, first of all, when we, when we decide it's a capability that we think um, is going to transform in the future and something that we really want to be um, a part of, let's call it personalization, next generation personalization, what we then do is we look at like the full spectrum of what that means, right? What technology means, what the user experience is, what the data structure is, all the components that will fuel that next generation next generation recommendation engine, and we understand where in that do we need to play, i.e., where is that a core capability, a core competency of ours, where in that should we be partnering, and then where in that should we be buying. So it's not a capability we have, but we believe it's a capability we should have in the future. And so we're very much interested in creating the best of experience in a way that makes the most sense with all of those different vantage points. And so it's not necessarily like a winner-take-all where, okay, we need to know everything around personalization, but what are the pieces that we think are fundamental to our business, to our competencies, and, and really, honestly, what our talent brings to the table. And what are the pieces that other people bring to the table that are actually better than us and we're happy to partner with them? And so we, we generally have that sort of decision framework up front and, and create the structure coming from there. So there's a lot of components that would be open sourced or available to other retailers and we think that makes sense. We really want to focus on where it makes sense for us as a business and not really lose ourselves in complexity of other things that, that other people do day and night and honestly do better than we do.
0: Right, and and on the topic of open source, uh, we've come across this in fashion and retail, particularly in when you talk about sustainability. How are brands working together for this, you know, open source resources to make fashion more sustainable overall? Do you think that that's uh, so? Can you just elaborate a little bit on how that plays into what Store Number Eight does? And you know, it sounds nice that all these companies could work together and benefit from from one. um, you know, relationship with, with a tech company or one understanding around how this type of technology might change retail, but do you think it's realistic?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think i put a little spin on maybe to to clarify what I said. I think there's component pieces of the technology that are open source that we might leverage. So for example, natural language processing. So that's the understanding that, you know, the words I say, that's the way a bot Sort of processes those and understands what words in the dictionary they were and what was the intent behind that, that ask. And so that's something that you know Siri and you know all of the other bots are, are obviously very good at. That's not something per se that maybe is a Walmart core capability, right? That is some of these other tech companies. Um, more more attuned to where they're spending their energy, their time, and they have hundreds of resources, or if not thousands of resources, devoted to that. That's something where I think we or others can leverage that capability and integrate it into their experience. So I don't think I don't think there's going to be a plug and play solution that all retailers use the same sort of bot identity with the same recommendation engine right. because then it's not unique or special to you. But I think there's component parts that will make sense for others to use if they're open into it but right? you have to be open to kind of working with others and having a more um, collaborative uh, work environment some retailers like to have more closed work environments but but walmart's perspective has always been to have an open platform and an open environment and so so that's where i see the collaboration happening i think with some other smaller retailers there's potential huge potential to integrate other sources whether it be supply chain logistics and things like that um, and you see that today through um, business models like uh, third-party logistics services, where a lot of these new brands, um, direct-to-consumer brands that are launching, um, you know, really with just with a website, right, no physical footprint, mm-hmm. they're able to do so because there's a lot of these other businesses that have created effectively shared service models for all the other components that maybe aren't core to their business, be it supply chain and logistics, being an example.
0: Okay, so it's, so it's very like high-level um, idea of of sharing uh, resources. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there, there's definitely attempts out there to to share deeper, but I agree with you that there's definitely complexities in that and, and then therefore you're sharing each other's data and, and how do you uh, maintain something that, that is, you know, of of competitive nature. So where I see the, the more layup is those component parts being brought together in a unique way for each individual retailer.
0: Right, and I think the – and you've also worked with um, – brands on a on a certain like event-based business to match them with with tech companies and so can you talk about how that fits into to the overall of what store number eight does and the type of brands that have um that have worked with you guys in order to get access to these tech companies that um kind of have this number eight like seal of approval almost
1: yeah so we we are very interested in virtual reality as a next generation merchandising concept and and what we found in this space was that um there really wasn't much thought leadership around retail and consumer. It was mostly around gaming and and maybe potentially a little bit of education. And so we created an open call for the tech community, um, or for the developer community, to to have them think about what would they do with this medium in relation to retail. And so we got hundreds of submissions, and and 30% of which were global. And what we were really excited to do, and, and this is something that you know store number eight spent some time in the marketplaces, to actually raise awareness um, across the ecosystem. And so we brought in these 200 companies, we judged them, we ended up selecting five. And then what we did was we partnered them with, with different brands and retailers to have them execute their vision. Um, for Rebecca Minkoff, for example, uh, Modclock, which is one of our brands, for example, and brought in different companies that, that really sort of highlighted the different part of the experience that, that that idea really resonated with. And then we had an event called Innovate um, in Los Angeles where we, we really wanted to raise awareness not just to the few companies we partnered with, but across the ecosystem. And so we had the head of innovation from major, major retailers, you know, Chanel being one and, and some other big names, and, and we can share those names with you. Um, at this event. And, and really what we, our goal was just to have them demo some of these experiences and see and VR outside of a gaming context. So so we were really excited about the impact we had, not only um, on our goals in, in, internally, but as well on um, the ecosystem externally.
0: Right. And, and specifically talking about fashion, uh, do you think that the priorities that these, the heads of innovation at a fashion brand have or the, the technologies that these brands are really interested in investing in and, and, and putting to, to work in a, in a real life util, utility way that's not just like, oh, this would be a great fun gimmick that we could do uh, to, to make people happy. What Does that technology differ from what other types of retailers are using? Like What, what type of uh, technology lends itself best to fashion brands?
1: Um, so, so fashion has um, a lot of applications. I would say there's definitely a lot around manufacturing, which obviously is not the air quote sexy technology, but that that will have a huge impact on not only margins but consumer experience, turnaround times, and relevancy. And so, three D knitting, three um, D printing, and then you know on demand personalization and manufacturing, I think is is going to be really really interesting and game changing for. For the, retail, for the retail world, and in particular fashion, where there tends to be shorter lifespans of goods. Um, and, then, and then I think another piece is, is, you know, virtual reality is interesting, but I also think augmented reality, where you can actually see the, those items in the context of the environment that you're in, um, either on yourself, like with a digital avatar, or other things. I think it's further out. But when that technology becomes good, um, it actually will really change the game um, from from like a trial and experience perspective. I also think technology is fueling new businesses altogether that really change fashion, which are interesting, such as like a rent the runway and the sharing economy. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading around, you know, the the Instagramable moment and what that means, like at a macro level, and um, there's a lot to show that really you know the emphasis now is on experiences and not necessarily ownership of some of these some of these items especially these special items that really make make a moment in your in your Instagram story and so how do we help enable um customers or these people these shoppers to have highly relevant highly new experiences to showcase all day long and and that's really what you know the shareable economy and rent the runway and things like that have done which which I think are new business models altogether that will will impact fashion,
0: right? And obviously, very very technology based. It's not. It's it's a lot different than running a traditional fashion brand. Uh, so as it just feels like it can be very overwhelming for a retailer today, especially if you're looking at a more traditional brand that wasn't born online. Uh, they kind of had this one rule book that they could rely on. Uh, you open stores to get more people in the door. Um, you sell through a wholesale partner. When all of this is changing, uh, do do you work with, with brands and, and and technology companies around like how do you even dis- know where to begin? And, and you mentioned the not sexy tech. I think that that comes up a lot because when people talk about technology, you think you're talking about something that might be exciting like VR, but a lot of times it's just, you know, inventory management systems, um, you, you know, when there's so much in front of in front of brands today to to like that they could do. How do they know what they should do right now?
1: I mean, I really think it depends on sort of degree of risk tolerance, degree of um um, nascency of the business and and where that business is and its kind of growth cycle, um, and and what sort of legacy problems they have, but but generally, as as a rule of thumb, I think, and this is sort of alluding to what I was talking to earlier, I think it's really important to really focus and double down on what's your core competency. And so, if as a brand or retailer, your core competency is everyday low price, like, like a Walmart per se, you know, we really need to focus on what does technology or what are these changes doing to help us streamline and create more efficiencies to therefore add more value for our customers. And so robotics and other things actually help us streamline and make things faster and actually optimize how we pack trucks so we get more goods in a truck and, and you know I can go on and on about those things mm-hmm. and so that's really something where, where my, my mind share will be when I'm thinking about Walmart. If you're thinking about another brand where their core competency is um, just really unique um, personalized product okay so what are these other legacy systems or infrastructure that they have that they're owning that maybe they should be looking to partners to help own and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier you know there's certain pieces of the business that especially some of these small retailers and small brands really don't need to be taking on and with the cloud infrastructure you know you've really been able to outsource really new seemingly core parts of the business so inventory management systems warehouse management systems logistics systems um, even SEO, SEM and marketing type things to other providers that, that that's what they do day in day out and so what I would, what I would sort of suggest for anyone you know, going through a, 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 an industry with a massive form of transformation is I, I'd want to go back to the basics and see, you know, what do my customers know me and love me for and double down on that and decrease complexity in the other areas.
0: Yeah, I think that as the the retailers are are deciding, you know, I say the retailers very broadly, but if you're a brand you're deciding what to tackle, I think part of that question is uh, what do you do in-house and what do you outsource? And so, and is that, something that that you work with the with the with the store number eight companies on I know obviously you know for something like personalization it's very data driven and it's and companies today they want to own as much of the data as they can um if if possible just to have that that direct customer relationship so if you're code eight uh you know how do you pitch yourself as okay I'm I'm more valuable to your own brand than than your data source
1: yeah, so I mean it's the same question we go through and actually it's interesting because it's actually a two-pronged thing. So there's things you can outsource really to the external providers. So as I was talking about natural language processing is something that potentially uh, Jenny, who's the CEO of codeate might look to work with the provider that that's what they do day in, day out. But then there's the other decision that we actually make since, since store number eight is a separate LLC and then we own all of our portfolio companies as separate LLCs as well. They're two degrees of separation away from the core ecosystem of Walmart, of the mothership. And so the second part is we also assess, hey, where is it that Walmart just has such a great infrastructure and does this so well that we should be leveraging their group Team their system because they could do this faster, better, more efficiently in their sleep than we could as as a fledgling, um, you know, twenty five person startup. Mm-hmm. And so we we're making those assessments all day long, both on the external front as well as the sort of internal external uh, being integrating with the larger enterprise, you know, and everything from customer service to how do we do logistics and, and negotiate with FedEx and things like that. Um, there's definitely places where we're realistic as to you know where we need to spend our energy and time and really what's the core what's the core value we brought this team in to do and the other things you know we're we're extremely fortunate in that we have such a large stable well oiled ecosystem um that can do these things better than we could ever imagine on our own That it doesn't make sense for us to 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 reinvent the wheel right
0: and uh, what about in-store? I, I Obviously, Walmart is a company that you would look at and say, okay, if you want to incorporate in-store technology, how do you begin to scale that when you have so many so many physical locations? Um, have you guys worked with, with companies like that? Or is that something you're working on?
1: Yeah, I mean, in-store is a big part of, of, I think, retail, right? And of the consumer experience. So it's definitely something that we think about and talk about all day long. I mean, I feel strongly that you know you know some of those articles that you know the store experience is going away I, I don't think that's true I feel strongly that there's a place for the store experience um, it will probably become more experiential and um, some, some of these other trends that you're seeing happen um, and so that's a big part of how we look when we're looking 10-20 years out it's kind of impossible to just look at digital and not look at physical, uh, you know, really as one cohesive experience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how it scales to the 4,400 stores we have in America is definitely a question. But I think one of our core values that, that we uh, operate in is, is this concept of working backwards, where we understand okay, at the end goal, what would this look like? What would the end at scale economics be? How would this work when you get leverage out of these things? What is, does that look like? What's that tipping point? And then work from there. I think sometimes if you start from the beginning and you're like, "Whoa, the upfront cost to do this is A, B, C, or D," but you don't kind of look, you know, at the future state when you amortize that over 4,400 stores or 100 stores or whatever your company has. Um, those are two very different KPIs and viewpoints. And so that's something that's core to the way we approach problems questions and even financial modeling is we, we try to start from the end um, a realistic end right because there's all these unknown unknowns um, but we put buffer in there so this realistic end is feasible and then kind of work backwards to you know how we how we begin versus having that that cold starter that problem from the beginning I think it's really hard to get over that hump right. and try things that are that are transformational um, w- without that long-term perspective
0: right especially when you consider the cost alone. Um, so, we're looking ahead. We're at the we at the very um, beginning of the year. So, as you are preparing for the first full year of Stormart Number Eight, what um, what particular retail technologies are you really bullish on? What do you think has the the chance of going beyond this? Oh, this is going to change retail. To companies can actually adopt this. This is, this is happening right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I don't think any of my of the things in my vantage point will really have their moment next year from a transformational perspective, because but inherently the things I'm working on are a few years out. I think we'll start seeing the telltale signs of them, right? So it won't be in every household. We won't have that transformation. But again, from that work backwards mentality, you can see how when you multiply that, that's actually huge. Mm-hmm. And one of one of which is really the the sort of connected home concept um, and so how do we have all this data, really? We have all this data about the consumer in sort of the digital phys- uh, social world, right? You have, you have the potential to have an extremely um, broad set of data in the physical shopping world, right? Whether or not we're sort of compiling it and leveraging it um, as, a, as, a, as an industry is another question, but we know when you pick something up, when you put it down. We know you looked at the price tag and then you didn't like it. You know, what are all those signals? Um, I think the last piece is really understanding that consumers' behaviors in the home, what consumption patterns are, what um, sort of daily habits are, and then really leveraging all of those experiences together to, again, I think back to my broader point, reduce friction and allow the customer to focus on on the things that that he or she wants to like right? the value add side of things so there's certain items that i just love browsing for i don't care how much data you have about me i want to be in the store i want to be picking it up i want to be touching it i want to be trying it on but there's a lot of other items right now that that have a lot of friction in my life that i never want to think about again and so i think having this holistic viewpoint of of the customers life and and the, the connected home i think is the last big unlock um, we really will make a huge impact in time, right? Not next year, but in time on right-sizing that relationship and allowing customers to enjoy where they want to enjoy shopping and, you know, set it and forget it where where they don't. Mm-hmm.
0: That's an interesting one because it doesn't only require the... The retailers and the technology to be to be all in and be on board, but you have to make sure that the customer is okay with you tracking their the data that they have in their homes. And obviously, we've seen that happening with things like the Echo and the dash buttons. But um, do you think that that the customer is ready for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, it's definitely one hundred percent in the customer's um, sort of uh, purview to make that decision. However, I do, I do truly believe, you know, there are going to be certain customers that are never okay with it, and that's okay, right, because we still can, we still can serve that customer because we serve them today without that data. Mm -hmm. But I do believe when you see the impact this could have on your life, and it's not like, hey, customers who bought this also bought this, but like real, like personalized experiences that, that, that kind of blow your mind, right? these magical experiences customers will become more and more okay with that and you see that with other trends you know a lot of millennials are way more okay with sharing their location on on social media and things like that because they get the value of having their item their pictures tagged with you know events or places they want to be associated with and so when you provide that tangible um, value or or benefit customers I, I, I do believe will become will become okay with it but again that's up for them to decide and and honestly, you know, from a retailer's perspective, you can serve them either
0: way. Right. yeah, because like you said it's already happening right now. Um and we are almost out of time, but I think that the biggest uh, I guess you could call it a buzzword in in retail technology and marketing that we're talking about is AI. Uh where do you see that going next year? Because I think we we just did a research a survey and I think only 50% of brand marketers said that they're using AI right now. It still seems like Yes, some people are using it. I think people know the benefits, but people haven't been able to successfully incorporate it into their strategies yet.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think it's twofold, right? I think um, legacy systems, legacy processes, um, that that's going to be hard to just, you know, integrate a new <clears throat> data source. And, and I think what, what the, the hardest part is, is you need to train the AI, right? The AI isn't just going to know everything on its own. And so really what it is, is it's an investment in that, in that um, capability in that uh, in that you know tool in your toolkit and you have to believe in it to be to want to do all those things to train the ai to then get the value out of it and so it is something that takes a little time um, and so i think the second piece is uh it, it's further out um, it's not probably a next year thing to really have that transformational impact on your business there still is and, and until that like last 5% is really solved there's there's always going to be that human element and so you're not going to feel that magical experience which which i think again back to you know the first point um, it's going to be hard to prioritize training it when when you don't you know feel the the direct or the full direct benefit and so i think that's a little bit of a chicken or egg problem but i do see that that being something that honestly underlies nearly every transformational technology that we see whether it's autonomous vehicles whether it's robotics, um, virtual reality, augmented reality. It, I mean the, the analogy I use is it's almost like you know Excel in 1980. Um, now it's something that like, we can't even live without. It's in every person's job they use you know Excel to process information and, and store data or do these other things. Um, whereas probably when it started, it was like this tool for just finance people. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be such a funny concept to think about today. I think AI is the same thing. You know, right now it's it's a little bit too early, and so it's really the people that are really knee deep in neural networks and understanding how it works. But once it becomes um, ubiquitous, uh, I, I think everyone's going to be you know laying the foundation to train that AI and be happy to invest the time since they reap the benefits. Yeah.
0: Especially as we're looking at companies like Stitch Fix that have really mastered it and have oh, almost like laid out the the first demonstrations of of how much it can really do for for a retailer or an e-commerce. Company. Yeah, I and mean, you look
1: at them. I mean, again, you know, I don't know how much you know about their early days, but like a lot of a lot of the recommendations were made manually, and they basically were just training that data set to understand. Okay, here's what a crop top. I mean, you know, I don't know how what level of detail they go in, but. Yeah. You know, they had to be investing in that foundation to then get that output. And so that's that's that chicken or egg thing I talk about. And so, so luckily, you know, they had a you know, they were able to come from a clean start. And so they didn't they didn't really have to make that hard decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's harder for others that have processes that work. Right. Maybe they're not as efficient, but they work to break them to then hopefully have them become better over time.
0: Right. It's definitely definitely space to watch. Um Well, thanks so much, Katie. I think we're all out of time, but I I really appreciate you talking through this and we'll be excited to see what else store number eight does next year. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play and give us any feedback you have.